You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Tuesday, and today you'll hear an episode from our Takeover series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme that's relevant to our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. I'm the host of the Flip Maffler podcast. And as always, every Tuesday and sometimes even on Thursday, we actually have somebody come and do a takeover, which honestly gives me more time to do what I need to do in my life. But it also creates great content on the podcast. So this time, a good friend of mine, really, really a good friend of mine, Ted Wynn, he has a passion for the heroes in healthcare business. And we all know how the healthcare business has been impacted over the last years. And he, he started a podcast right in the middle of it. So Ted, tell us what this podcast series is all about that, and who do you interview in that? Sure. Well, thanks, Andrew, first. And second, thanks for having me here. Yeah, you know, our tagline is dedicated to highlighting bold, selfless professionals in the healthcare industry who are focusing on transforming lives in their communities. And we just thought with the COVID, COVID um, pandemic that we're all living through and still continuing to go through that these people and their stories just wasn't, wasn't being told or needed to be highlighted more. And so we just took it on as a, a bit of a passion project and said, let's start talking about these people and what they're doing. And uh, as a result, it's taken off. We have, uh, we are just finished episode 10. Ah, congrats. Thanks. And we have uh, last numbers I checked were about 1700 downloads. Already. That is awesome. So the podcast is called Heroes of Healthcare. Yep, and uh, yeah, and and uh, we are going to have links to your podcast here. So if people want to continue listening to it after, even after the series is done, they can go check it out. We'll obviously write a blog and all those things. Share some of the people you're interviewing so we get a taste of it. Yeah. So yeah, and they can they can listen on the Heroes of Healthcare Podcast dot com website. So we have a whole website with the episodes posted there. Spotify, Apple, all the regular places as well. But yeah, we've been really fortunate. Um, we have, uh, uh, Dr. Mark Knapp. He was the chief marketing, uh, excuse me, chief medical officer for Mount Sinai in New York city, who gave us a whole impact of how New York city responded to the pandemic and, and the stress on the people. We had the chief medical officer for Navant massive healthcare system in the North Carolina and Southeastern market, talking all about vaccine safety of MRNA and the vaccine that's been coming out. And then we like to mix it up a little bit. We had an old time friend of mine, Jack Curry, who is the voice of the New York Yankees, come on and talk all about baseball and how baseball was dealing with the COVID pandemic, but also how baseball was giving us some normalcy in our lives. Yeah. Because one of the things we also want to focus on is not just the physicality of, of, the, of the healthcare system, but also mental health. So we've also had um, the chief wellness officer from another major healthcare system talking about physician burnout, dealing with all the different clinicians and how are they dealing with the medical stress that they're under, under these uncertain times. So it's been very exciting and it's been, uh, we've had such a cross section of people. I think the listeners are going to find something in uh, great out of each one of them. Awesome, man. Ted, so, so everybody listening, you might be listening to the first episode you might be listening to the 10th takeover episode of this series. So just make sure you you look back and see if you have missed anything. But each one of them uh, is something that I feel that you being so passionate about it, 
is going to bring life to a lot of people as they hear it. So Ted, again, thanks for doing this. And everybody, enjoy the show. I'm joined today by Dr. Kelly Stecker. Kelly Stecker is an OBGYN at M Health Fairview Women's Center in Adena, Minnesota. She's co-founder and president of Patient Care Heroes, obviously a topic that's near and dear to our hearts here at this show, and chief of reproductive medicine and healthcare equity for AIMS. Her focus is on advocacy and policy change centering around physicians, the medical community, improving the culture of medicine, and making patient care safer. We're excited to talk with Dr. Stecker today as she just launched an organization, Patient Care Heroes, reflecting a community of leaders and innovators who are willing to go an extra mile and put service ahead of their personal needs. This organization was created with love and compassion as a way to provide assistance to families and loved ones of physicians, nurses, medical assistants, dentists, EMS, and others who have died from COVID-19 or by other means in the line of duty. The country has suffered a collective trauma and there is a need to grieve together. This organization will create a hub where that can occur. The main focus at this time is to create a platform where the medical community can obtain access to barrier-free mental health resources, create awareness around physician suicide, and advocate for legislative changes to protect the community. It's our pleasure to have a fellow individual who wants to celebrate the heroes of healthcare join our show today. Welcome, Dr. Stecker. Thanks so much for having me. So we got lots to talk about today. I know we've chatted before, so it's going to be a fun episode to get into and learn a little bit more about you and this crazy pandemic world that we've been in for the last year or, or yeah, now a little over a year, and then talk about your passion project. So if you don't mind, let's uh, just kick things off for the audience and let us get to know you a little bit better and tell us a little bit about your background, where you hail from, and a little bit about Dr. Stecker today. So I grew up in Wisconsin, so I was a Badger and a Packer fan. That was kind of like a big, you know, cultural thing because when I moved to Minnesota, my husband is a definitely a Vikings fan. So that was a little bit of a issue. And there I have, (laughs) I have a sister and brother, which are great, grew up with them. My sister also moved to the Twin Cities, which is where I currently live. So I'm very fortunate to have her in my life. I went to Medical College of Wisconsin, which was an awesome program. I can't say enough good things about them. And then Michigan State Grand Rapids Medical Education Partners for my OBGYN residency. We moved back to the Twin Cities because we wanted to have more of a support team for my kids, right? And so we have a eight and six year old and, you know, this year has been an outlier, but normally we are blessed with being able to see family on a regular basis, which includes my sister and her husband and my in-laws. So normally in a normal non-pandemic world, it's really it's really great to see people. From there, I started in private practice for a number of years, recently went into the academic world and now work at M Health Fairview, mostly based in Edina, Minnesota. And so I deliver babies out of Southdale. And so this year has presented new challenges for all of us. And all along, I've definitely been involved in different advocacy projects and talking to women and especially about their struggles as an OBGYN and their concerns with workplace violence and domestic violence and all that. So I've been involved in those projects forever. However, with COVID, it really blossomed the need for more organization around mental health resources. And so seeing a void in the medical community, that's where I, I started working on my passion project, which is patient care heroes. So that's, that's kind of how things have been going this year. So you're up in the Twin Cities 
And how long have you been there now? So we have been here for about eight years now. Okay. And when you were in med school, did you always know you wanted to go into OBGYN or was that a path that came to you later? That's a great question. Actually, I was pretty convinced I was going to be a pediatric cardiologist, which is very specific, I realize. But I did some research with the Healthier Partnership Wisconsin and worked on getting AEDs into schools. And so I really felt passionate about preventative care, preventative health care. However, when I was doing my pediatric cardiology internships, I realized that I love ultrasound and I love doing fetal echoes. And so Hmm. I realized that my favorite parts of pediatric cardiology were actually related to obstetrics and not pediatric cardiology. And so that kind of lend itself to trying everything out. And when I did my first delivery, that was it. I, I knew that I wanted to be a, a OBGYN. Okay. It's not always, but my wife volunteers in a NICU at the hospital near us here. And she loves it too. And I've got a good friend who's an OBGYN and he said he wanted to practice happy medicine. Mm-hmm. You know, you always think for the most part, it's always happy and it's not always happy, but for the most part, it's kind of a joyous moment in people's lives. So Yeah, I mean, we definitely have more than our fair share of good. And so I have a couple of friends who are doing pediatric oncology, and I think they are the most amazing people. I just don't think I could I could do it. I think I would have been burned out by now. And somehow they go to work and are positive and happy and excited. And they do things that are so hard. And I can't even imagine. And so I do feel fortunate that that my specialty lends itself to more happy moments. Yeah. Well, we all need to have our different strengths Mm -hmm. and gifts and everything. And that's what makes it that's what makes the world go around. So it's been an interesting year for a lot of people. And I don't think anybody, as I say, had a pandemic plan in their lives. And so we did. So how's it been for you with your practice? What have you seen? What has been interesting? I'd love to hear your opinion about vaccine with pregnant women Mm -hmm. and some of that and what what you're hearing. I'm, I'm hearing that It's okay. Yes, go forward. But I would love for you to share with the audience and stuff what the expert says, not what I hear. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, thank you for bringing this up because I still hear all the time from my patients. Well, my sister's physician said that she shouldn't get the vaccine. And it makes me a little crazy hearing the mixed messages from different physicians because really you should be having these conversations with your physician who knows your medical history. However, I am all for vaccinations. It is true that the mRNA vaccine has been around a shorter period of time. But if you even go on the CDC website, you can look at the technology and the technology has been around for 10 years. And so, yes, COVID is a novel virus. And yes, we haven't had these things around as long. However, it's a great technology. It's a safe technology. It does not cause infertility, which is one of the things that I've heard through the grapevine. So on Facebook, there was like a meme or something about COVID vaccines causing infertility. And then the next day, we had a rash of people calling into the office saying, Oh, my gosh, I got the vaccine, I'm going to be infertile. And so I think that a lot of the misinformation has been really hard to combat. But I am all for it. I'm a big advocate for it. And if people want to do their own research on it, I think that's great, too. But if you go to the American College of OBGYN, if you go to the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, and you look at their information on the COVID vaccine, and you can read their statements, OBGYN should be pro vaccination because the risk of having severe COVID in pregnancy outweighs the risk to getting the vaccine. And that's really the bottom line is we want to make sure that people are having healthy 
pregnancies. We want to make sure that we're decreasing their risk of preterm labor and delivery, which severe COVID can do, and we don't want that. And it's really the right thing to do is to advocate you know, studies, obviously, on this. What's also encouraging is we are seeing data that antibodies are going to be crossing the placenta to help protect the baby, right? And so we know that it's going to be a while before people can get these newborns vaccinated. It's really encouraging seeing that things that we hypothesize we're probably going to be the case are true. So I'm very happy about that. Great. Great. Yeah. So appreciate that. And, you know, of course, everybody's different. So I appreciate your saying, you know, check with your <laughs> check with your your own personal physician. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the normal disclaimer statement, but that's great. No, but it's actually true. You, you need to. Well, you know, everyone's got different yeah. allergies. Yeah. And, no, I, you know, I, I, I mean, everyone's got a thing. So, yeah. For sure. So talk about the last year. How did it impact your practice? How did it impact what you were doing, what you were working on? How did things change as we entered into the last March when everything started to become real? So I think that COVID has really been a stress test for the medical community. You know, just like you think about stress tests on the heart, it's really, it really taxed us to our full potential. And I know that some communities were hit harder than others. And we, of course, adapted, right? We had a pivot just like everybody else. And initially, we did a lot of our visits via telehealth, and we had not ever done that before. So that was definitely something we needed to adapt to. I had a hard time with that because I take care of, you know, pregnant patients and I take care of postpartum patients. And my worry was also missing like mental health issues, right? So a lot of the ways we diagnose people with anxiety, depression, things like that, we have to be there in person or to see their faces or to communicate with them, see their body language. That really gives us a lot of information about how someone's doing. And so that did feel kind of disconnected from those data points. However, we pivoted, we worked it, things seem to be going well. And now that we're on the other side of it, we can take a deep breath with that. However, my concern is, did we learn anything from these issues, right? And so I want to make sure that we're cataloging how we handled this for future endeavors, Mm -hmm. because I don't think anyone needs to go through some of these stressors. Again, I know the medical community certainly doesn't need to. And when I look at how we've kind of weathered the storm, physicians and nurses and techs and all of the healthcare community has bared the brunt of some of these issues in terms of almost like this moral injury and stress, right? Because people felt like they were not protected to the extent that they should have been. Across the country, people were stressed about speaking out when they didn't have enough PPE. Some people were even fired. And so there's really kind of this inner turmoil people had about how this was handled. And aside from that, people become disenchanted with being in medicine, right? And we have different areas of the country where people were told not to wear scrubs outside of their homes because they were verbally and in some cases physically assaulted by people saying that COVID was a hoax. And so it really did a huge number on the morale and the mental health of the medical community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. And I know that's going to, that's a good segue, but I want to wait one minute because it leads us into your fashion project. You're getting right to the chase here today. I love that. (laughs) Are you seeing though less hesitancy? I mean, obviously we've all become more educated about this, right? And we talked about that a little earlier before and, you know, and we won't speculate what this will be two years from now and we don't know. So let's not go there. But are you finding an openness to, for patients to now start coming back in? They're more comfortable with it. They're saying, 
I want to be seen. Absolutely. And I think that that's so critical because we don't want to miss preventative care, right? We don't want to miss cancer screenings. We don't want to prevent people from getting therapies that are going to help their quality of life. And so it really has come back over the last couple months here. Great. Well, that's good. And any downside? Have you seen people who should have waited too long out of fear? And, you know, now you're having to kind of rally to get some them some help quickly because they were just afraid to come in? That's a actually a great question. So when the pandemic started, we started seeing an increase in people wanting to have home births. And so we had mm. people that weren't seeking obstetric care in the normal fashion. And they weren't wanting to deliver in a hospital out of fear, right? And unfortunately, you have people spreading misinformation, you have people who are fear mongering. And truth be told, being delivered in a hospital where we're decreasing your risk of morbidity mortality and the baby's risk of morbidity mortality is still a really important thing. And the hospitals have really done a great job safeguarding the obstetrics units. And so That has been a challenge, making sure that people understand we are here, we are safe, we are practicing appropriate guidelines. My group was really fortunate that we did not actually have any of our obstetricians get COVID-19 because we were so diligent in how we use PPE and we were collectively really looking out for each other. And so a lot of the OBGYNs spent their time trying to make sure that their patients were safe. And so that's been a huge issue. However, thankfully, we're not seeing that as much now that we've transitioned. Yeah, well, and like we said, early, you know, education, you know, we're mm-hmm. all, we're all a little smarter than we were a year ago. Now in for a period of time, and I know, cause my niece had a child in last May and her anxiety all came around from the fact that they were saying her husband wasn't going to be able mm. to be with her during the delivery. Did you guys go through a period of doing that or no, that was always the spouse could be there or the, you know, the a significant other could be there with them. Thankfully, we always had the significant other present. I think that that would have been a huge added stress for people who are already stressed, as you, you know, obviously heard. I know that New York, New York City went through a very short time period where they had that policy and that quickly got reversed. I think the governor Mm -hmm. reversed that. But we in Minnesota, we did not have any of those issues, thankfully. Well, she's in New York, so that makes sense. (laughs) That's Um, why she got that. New York was the, yeah, that was the part. Yes. Okay, good. So obviously, let's jump into your passion project. So besides being a mom of two and and a practicing doctor, you've decided to take on a, a cause that's you're very passionate about. And that cause is called Patient Care Heroes. And for the listeners, if they want, they can start to learn more. And we'll put this on our website and all, but it's patientcareheroes.com. And that's why we love having Dr. Stecker here because we're the heroes of healthcare and she's got patient care heroes. So we had to have our fellow healthcare hero representative on the call. But why don't you tell us a little bit more about how this has come about? What what gave you this idea to go ahead and do this? And what community are you trying to serve? So when I was talking to people from around the country, I really saw that we had this void in mental health resources for the medical community. And it all really stems from you know, from not feeling appreciated in the community, from having this extra stress, this moral injury that we talked about, the rates of depression, anxiety were up, people were feeling isolated. And so I realized we needed to do something to help this medical community and really to reach out for everybody who takes care of patients, right? So this is not focused solely on physicians or nurses, 
it's anyone who's taking care of patients. And with this, we want to make sure that people have access to barrier-free, free mental health resources. And the reason why that's important to me is when you look at different licensing applications, especially physician licensing agreements, we have to apply for licenses every year. And some of them really do appear to be in conflict with the ADA, which is the American Disability Act. And they do talk about, have you ever had a mental illness? Have you ever sought therapy or care for mental illness? And the hard thing is each state is governed differently with this by each different medical board. And I wanted to make sure that people were not limiting their access because of fear for retaliation against their license. And so that's why I wanted to make sure that we were anonymous, we could help them, we could provide them resources. Aside from that, I just have have seen this developing mental health crisis in the medical community for years, looking at equity issues and burnout and all of that kind of lends itself to depression and anxiety and looking at women who leave medicine, one in eight women will leave medicine or go part-time before they're six years out of residency. And so all of that kind of funneled together for COVID. And then it was kind of like the match on the gas, right? I mean, it really kind of propelled everything and made everything worse. And so we need to make sure that we're taking care of the people who take care of us. And with that, We also wanted to create a platform where we can have advocacy for these things, right? And so we're going to be working with different organizations nationally to make sure that legislation is addended to help protect the medical community as well. I mean, that's amazing. So it sounds like, and I want to, I want to pull this apart a little bit because I think this is so important. So you recognize the need in the market. You never recognize the need for some advocacy. You recognize the need for a place to go where you can feel safe to get help if you need help. So Patient Care Heroes, is it an advocacy group? Is it a support mechanism platform? Break it apart for me because it sounds like you're trying to do a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. And part of it sounds like, well, we want to lobby for a better (laughs) right for the physician, which which is awesome, right? Because that's what you're trying to say, which is, hey, these questions... These questions are, are, I don't know if the word is illegal, but these mm-hmm. questions aren't right because they allow the boards to form a biasy, which mm-hmm. may not be accurate or may not be something which should be held against them as we're pursuing help and so on. So I hear that advocacy part mm-hmm. and getting some legislation changed and or rules changed. But then I also know there's a heart for let's create a platform where people can seek and find help where they may not have felt comfortable or not know where to turn in the past. So we are going to do a little bit of all of that. Right. And so we are going to have a branch where we're going to have a political action committee. We're going to call it the Voices of Patient Care Heroes. And we have been in contact with a, another amazing group out of Kaiser. So there is a gal um, named Dr. Jennifer Weiss, who started Speak Up Ortho, who, you know, really has a passion for gender equity issues and to help safeguard women just as as I have tried to work on for the last several years. And so we are going to have a branch of patient care heroes that can really be an advocate for change that's going to help the medical community launch into the next couple of years, because if we don't fix some of these issues, we're going to have problems. And so making sure that there's like a national application process for physicians, making sure that there's a safe reporting structure for harassment and bullying. That's kind of on one side of it. The platform itself of Patient Care Heroes is one, making sure that we're providing mental health resources for people, humanizing the people who have worked so hard 
for our communities. So we want to tell their stories. We want to celebrate them. We want to make sure that they are valued, right? And this goes beyond COVID. This is a forever thing, in my opinion, because people have sacrificed their lives in healthcare as long as since the beginning of time, really. In the Twin Cities, we had one of the nurses at Alina that unfortunately was killed by a gunman, right? And so that was not COVID related. However, we want to make sure that she is supported and her stories are told and we're celebrating her life. And then with that, we want to make sure that we're wrapping our arms around the community and giving them resources if they need that for mental health or financial or grants for kids who might need something. And so we want to make sure that we're providing for this community as well in that way. Yeah. And I think if I'm right, you told me so the, the you know, obviously with all permissions and things that are going to be necessary, those stories you're going to try to post on the website and let people mm-hmm. come and hear about these stories and or celebrate those people who have done hero's duty as we like to call it, right? Or they've been, I say, superhero, superheroes without superpowers, you know, so they're just getting it done day in and day out. That will be part of the platform as well, correct? Mm -hmm. And we're putting that on our like Instagram and different other social media now. And you can go on there and you can actually submit stories now that we can post. And it's just someone who has gone above and beyond, right? If you want to tell, we had a mom submit Mm -hmm. a story for her daughter recently, and that was pretty amazing. And so we want to make sure that people have a voice to tell their stories. Great. So let's talk a little bit more about the advocacy. So, and help me understand and forgive my naivete, but is this legislative changes? In other words, are you guys pursuing legal changes, changes to the law, or is it mostly policy change? Like, are you going to a state and saying, hey, you know, to the state board and saying, hey, we think you have to change the following things and here's why, or we'd like you to change the following things. Here's why. How much of it becomes legislative and how much of it is policy? That's a great question. So I have tried to make policy changes on a local level for quite a long time with some of these issues and with gender equity issues and safeguarding people who've been discriminated against or bullied or things. I had gone to the AAMC, which is the medical college governance, right? And said, can we do these things? And they said, well, Mm -hmm. we don't have the power to mandate this locally. And so that's what inspired me to say, yep, you know what, I'm going to start networking with different politicians and Congress members, and we're going to take it to Congress. And so there's a bill that Tim Kaine introduced this summer, and it's called the Breen Bill. And it's named after Dr. Laura Breen, who is one of the physicians that committed suicide in New York. And her family started a foundation. And so they have helped, you know, become a motor for some of this change. And her brother's a phenomenal individual saw him talk yesterday, we'll be meeting later this week. And so we're going to team up with them as well as other organizations nationally, the American Medical Women's Association, Wellbeing Trust, Yellow Ribbon, Suicide Prevention, all these organizations, we have a a goal in mind, and that's basically to prevent burnout, depression, anxiety, and suicide, ultimately, of our medical community. And so the goal is to make sure that this legislation is, one, passed. Two, if we can make critical addendums to this that are going to have more tangible realistic effects, I think that's really important as well. And so there are things that we would like to add to the bill to make sure that it has as much impact as possible. So we're trying to use our platform to create changes that are going to impact everybody. Wow. So I'm and I'm sure it's not 
necessarily an easier or faster path because getting legislation put through is no small task and, and, and takes tons of time and effort and energy. But is the idea if we can get the legislation pushed through, then the policies have to change? Yeah, because we want to mandate different things to the states, right? So if we have been trying to advocate for physician application or licensing applications to change for however long, we've had NAMI and the APA writing letters to the state boards and that has never changed, then we need to go beyond that. We need to take it to a higher level so that we can mandate these changes. Because if we can't get help, you know, the easy, simple, the simpler way, then I'm happy with working with people in Congress to try to make real changes that are going to positively impact everybody. Right. Because if you can't get it done on a federal level, then you're now now you're down to the state by state basis, which is a Herculean lift because you got to do it 50 times. Exactly. Yep. Well, so it sounds like you guys, and when did you start this? So I know, like I said, it's a passion project, but when did, when did this start for you guys? Because it sounds like you've made a lot of progress in a short period of time. I think I know when you and I spoke a few months back, you were like, well, the website's not up yet and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And overnight, it felt like it was up and you were ready to go. So I know you don't waste any time, but so how long have you started and how is the progress? Obviously, the progress has been good. Yeah, I mean... Technically, I think it was middle of January. So January 13th of this year is when we came together. Of course, I had been active in advocacy work before then. So I had a lot of the connections put together, which was fortunate. And I took an active role in many other things associated with COVID. So I had colleagues that were willing to help. But Patient Care Heroes was January of this year. Okay. So that's amazing because the amount of progress as people will see that you've made and even just hearing you talk about it, you're on the the fast track with it. Does the fact that you've got the website and the name and things like that, do you find that that's helping legitimize it when you're talking to people versus it being Dr. Stecker's idea? Yeah. I mean, that is helpful. Absolutely. And I have been fortunate to meet people from different organizations that I've become involved with and have gotten leadership roles with. And so that has, I think, legitimized me a little bit as well. And so having a new leadership role with AMWA and being on a board for mental health advocacy, that's all really helped me kind of get into this space so that when people talk to me, they don't think I'm just like a random person coming at them for for things that I need. Yeah. Well, it's amazing, right? Just how the website does do that because, yeah, because I mean, we all have things that we're passionate about, Mm -hmm. but, but to create a movement is a whole different effort and energy that takes, that takes behind it. So cast a little vision for the listeners in terms of what would you like to see this be? What are some of your short term goals for the platform? What would success look like? You know, if you said, hey, by, you know, this time next year or or in six months, we'd love to really have this or see this moving. What are some of the, th- the goals that you'll be shooting for with the organization? And where do you think it's going? You know, short term, I really want to just educate people on the issues. I think that even physicians aren't aware of physician suicide issues. And we really got rocked mm-hmm. in our community with a couple different suicides. And just talking to one of my colleagues this morning about it, he knew one of the women who had committed suicide. And he actually was unaware of the significant rates that that we had. And I think making sure that the community is aware of what's going on and 
you know, really educating people who have power to make change. And that's why I think it's really important for politicians to be aware of what goes on in the medical community, because it's not just the healthcare system. It's not just the business of medicine. It's not that it's we're people that are running the show here. And we need to make sure that we're protecting those people. And so I think that educating people is my one of my big goals. The number two goal for the short term is making sure people know we exist and that they're not alone. Because I don't want someone to get to that place where they feel like suicide is their option, that that's what they need to do because they just can't go on anymore. I want to make sure that that person has a number and resources and a community that they can reach out to when they need help. So those are my my short term goals, because I don't want someone to feel alone in those moments. And that's it makes me sad just to even think that someone could be in that situation. Aside from that, obviously, mm-hmm. growing our resources, right? Because we are able to offer resources to the medical community. I want to make sure that we can continue to do so. And so we're going to need to continue to work with different national organizations and sponsorships. With that, we grow and then can have more impact on making legislative changes as well. So really trying to grow this to provide the resources needed for our community is important for me. And I know all the people that I'm working on this project with. But long term, I would love to look at like more wellness stuff too, right? I mean, if you're looking at, Mm -hmm. yes, we're triaging this. We want to look at physician suicide, anxiety, and depression. But why don't we look at overall physical wellness as well as emotional, mental wellness for people? And I would love to team up with like Weight Watchers or, or other organizations that can help us get resources to the medical community as well, because a lot of people cannot afford to take care of themselves the way that they should be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll have to get you connected with Dr. Jonathan Ripp out of Mount Sinai. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to that episode Mm -hmm. that went on in February, but he's the chief wellness officer. When he launched, I think he said he was the second or third chief wellness officer in the whole country. And, you know, now there's many, many more and how many of these big healthcare systems are continuing to see the the value of preventing doctor burnout and all the benefits of that. So I'll have to get you connected. I think he would love your, your guy's cause and everything that you're trying to do. So let's talk about a little bit mental health in terms of, you know, we've heard, I've heard some different things and I always want to be careful about my numbers or putting numbers out there because they're never, I don't necessarily always have them substantiated. And, you know, there's always different opinions, but there's a lot written about that. We're going to, we're about to enter into an unprecedented period of time of, you know, mental illness and mental fatigue and a lot of need that's going to hit a system that's already understaffed and under resourced. What are you seeing and what are you projecting that some of that is going to be like coming out of the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I kind of look at it like a snowball rolling downhill, you know, and so we're kind of it's building momentum, it's getting bigger. I think that people who are kind of barely hanging on through the pandemic are now starting to reach the end of their coping mechanisms. And so we're definitely seeing more anxiety and depression. We're seeing people struggle with feeling isolated and disconnected. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, of course, what we had to do, which is isolate during a pandemic. And my worry is when you get to a certain point, you don't seek resources or help or communicate. You you kind of get into the dark place and then ultimately we worry about suicide. So we definitely see more people struggling with those things at this point. You know, it's again, same thing. One of the other things we've heard is, and are, I'm wondering whether you're seeing this too, is physicians or or really healthcare workers 
not wanting to admit that they're not feeling good or the kind of I'm okay and the mental, even just the social or the stigma of I've got a mental illness or I'm not, I'm feeling depressed, but I don't want to tell anybody. So I just keep saying I'm okay. And again, I go back to just Mount Sinai and they, you know, one of the things they've found is by using the word resiliency training, Mm -hmm. they're getting people to open up more. Have you guys seen any of those sorts of things? Or are you guys taking any, some of the different approaches to get some of the, you know, the stigmas are the stigmas, you know, they're there, whether we like them or not. So how do we work around those? Yeah, I think resiliency training is a really good buzzword for us, especially physicians, because I think unfortunately, a lot of us are resistant to seeking care, because it's kind of like the people who give care shouldn't Mm -hmm. need to have care, we're fine. Like, of course, we're fine. We're the ones that are prescribing medication, and we're taking care of people. And you get to a point where all of a sudden, you're like, Oh, I'm not fine. But there's embarrassment, like you're not tough enough, you're not, you don't have the mental stamina, you can't fight this off. Like, and I think that that's really true. And I know a lot of my friends in the military, because I work with some military people, they almost have the same thing. Like it's, it's almost like the sin to acknowledge that you need help. And I think if we can break that stigma by using if it is buzzwords that are not depression and it's more okay resiliency training or wellness or whatever then we need to do that but (laughs) bottom line is physicians still appear to be pretty resistant to wellness or resiliency or any of that stuff because I think that people are so overwhelmed with everything that's going on in their life whether it's kids and work and COVID and everything else they can't even think to add one more thing if it's good for them it still does not fit on the priority list unfortunately Yeah. What's the expression? Shoemaker's son has no shoes, right? Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes we're so busy practicing that we forget to take care of ourselves. So, yep, I'm I'm sure we're dealing with that for sure. So as we're kind of coming around to our time, what are you guys doing for funding? Are you bootstrapping this yourself? Are you do you have some donations? Do you have donors? What's the thought there? What's the fundraising ideas and, you know, how do you accelerate this? So we have been really fortunate enough to be connected with organizations that are donating time and resources. And so if you need help, you can get on our site. We can connect you up directly with some of these individuals, which has been fabulous. We are obviously looking for more sponsorships because we just are partnering with Arexa Pharmaceuticals that have a really cool AI technology to work with substance abuse and depression so that people who are resistant to talking to an individual one-on-one in a counseling can at 2 a.m. go on these resources and get help without needing to commit to, you know, having the conversation with another human, which for some people is really important, right? And so... We're partnering with them, but of course, none of this stuff is free. And so we we do need sponsorships and whoever wants to be involved. We, we always love resources and different things that people want to volunteer their time as well. So we're just kind of doing a grassroots movement. We're piecing things together so that we can get people the things that they need. Mm-hmm. So again, we'll put the website on our website when the podcast goes live. And for those who want to learn more information, I know, Kelly, you're at Advid. LinkedIn poster so people can follow you on LinkedIn and continue to learn more and social media you've become quite proficient at but also they can obviously learn more by going to patientcareheroes.com you know the other thing too I just kind of struck me I was thinking that being in the Twin Cities and we've heard this with some of our other guests but you know in the midst of this whole pandemic we also have a racial divide going on Mm -hmm. 
And you guys are living right in the in the middle of it with the George Floyd situation. I always want to be careful sometimes to date the podcasts, but I believe the trial is starting today. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we get we don't post the podcast for 30 days, but obviously today is a bit of a of a milestone day in that process. How have you seen or felt some of that has been an added stress point to some of the people that you guys are working with or has it been? You know, I think that to a large extent, it has opened people's eyes to the reality that we are not perfect and we have a long way to go with some of these issues. And I think that it has actually benefited us, especially in the Twin Cities, to make us more aware that we need to be advocates for everyone. And, you know, I think as someone who grew up in Wisconsin and moved to Minnesota, I was unaware of some of the healthcare disparities. I kind of was in denial that in Minnesota, we had as much as we did. I kind of thought, oh, it was those other states, Mm -hmm. right? It was the other people. It was the other institutions. And so it really changed my perspective and opened my eyes to needing to be on the lookout for these things and to help wherever I can. And I think that we've done a really good job trying to advocate for vaccinations and to to have an equitable distribution. And we're going to improve in this area going forward. But it definitely has added stress because we want to make sure that everyone's safe. And of course, for my colleagues that are working around where George Floyd was murdered and the hospitals in that area, of course, it's been stressful. Of course, there's been a, a lot of issues down there because of the conflicts. And we want to make sure that everyone stays safe. And that's been an extra burden for some of them as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully we can continue to have, I, I read an article and I think it's so true. We've lost the art of civil discourse. Mm-hmm. We can't disagree civilly anymore. It's all become hostile towards each other. So one of my prayers is that we can continue to come back to a place of civil discourse where Ted and Dr. Strecker can talk and not agree, but be okay with that. Right. You know, I mean, that's that's a it's unfortunately, unfortunately, we feel like it's I feel like at times it's become a bit of a lost art. Yeah. I mean, when I think about when I was in high school watching debates, it was totally a different life. I mean, it feels like we are in a time warp, like 60 years have gone by, but it really has not been that long. It's really unfortunate because everyone empowers everybody else. Like your perspective educates me on what I need to know and vice versa. And so I think if we can figure out a way to get back to that, that's really important too. Yeah, for sure. As we wrap up, I got two last things. One, how can our listeners help, you know, going to the website, registering, volunteering, donating, what else? If you want to share stories, that's really helpful too, because we want to make sure that we're recognizing people who have been heroes in their community. So if you want to share stories of a loved one or a friend, we would love that as well. So we close every episode with the famous question, which is who's your hero? So my hero is Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And it's because she really was a strong women's rights advocate. And She really helped us get to where we're at in terms of being involved in all of the areas we are. And I really appreciate that. And I know that we all want to carry on her tradition to make sure that women are in leadership and can help make good changes going forward. Yeah, she really is a a modern day woman advocacy. I know for many years, looking back, our kids and our children's Kids will look back at history, and I'm sure she will continue to remain, uh, and, and rightfully so, in her iconic role of all the work that she did and what she represented. So 
I think that's a great choice. If I do say, if you don't mind me sharing, that's a great one. So, well, Dr. Stecker, thanks so much for your time. Thank you for all the work you're doing. I know it's a it's a it's a passion job. These things usually are for the patientcareheroes.com that you're working with. We appreciate your heart. We appreciate all your service. That is also needs to be said. And we just thank you for being one of the many heroes of healthcare and joining us on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.